The material and information contained in this podcast is for general information purposes only. You should not rely upon the material or information in this podcast as a basis for making any business, legal, medical, or any other decision. If you listen to me, you're a fool. Research for yourself. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jason Trader. I am the salesman of Yeshua, and this is the Art of Being the Podcast, and today we're doing another fun with Hebrew words. Uh, I love these episodes, guys. I love studying the Hebrew language. Uh, for those of you who are not in the know, um, we gonna be speaking Hebrew in the kingdom, y'all. Uh <laughs> It says in Zephaniah that the Most High is going to restore an original language back to the people. And it doesn't take much studying. Uh, Book of Jubilees and studying of Genesis and and seeing how the lines worked after the Tower of Babel to understand that uh, Hebrew is the language of the Most High. I mean, it, it is. And so I like to study it because studying the pictures, the numbers... And the letters of a Hebrew word and the context behind the Hebrew thought, which is more important than anything else, the concept behind a Hebrew thought um, is just real exciting to me. And it's real fun. And I believe it's going to help us out when we get to the kingdom. We're not going to be totally lost. Um, I mean, we'll have a thousand years to learn and we'll have some pretty good teachers. But uh, let's do on earth as it is done in heaven. And guess what? Yeshua, he spoke Hebrew. So let's get into some Hebrew words. And today we're going to be talking about a Hebrew word called rakia. Rakia. What is rakia? Well, rakia is all over your Bible in the first chapter. So the book of Genesis chapter 1, there is a word that appears several times, and that is the word rakia, that uh, it is Strong's H7549, and it is translated as an expanse. Uh, I believe the King James calls it the firmament. Uh, it is the visible arch of the sky. That is rakia. Um, it's also referred to, depending on your translations, referred to as being a vault or a dome. And that is the word rakia. And uh, I'll get into the to the verses that I want to discuss a little later. Um, but let's first take a look at the letters that form the word rakia. Now, remember that uh, Hebrew grows from right to left, and the first letter is resh. That is the picture of the head of a man. The next letter is a quaff, which is the picture of the sun on the horizon. Then there's a yod, which is arms or a, uh, a hand, like a hand reaching out. Uh, and then the last letter is the ein, which represents the eye, which is like knowledge or understanding. It's the eye, right? Uh, and the way I like to picture 
uh, Rakia because I think it's just kind of a cool picture graph. Uh, and then we'll start getting into the context a little bit about how the Hebrews viewed it. But I like to picture it as like a tower. So you've got the Resh, the Quaff, the Yod, and the Ein. So the Ein is the top of the tower, and the Resh is the bottom of the tower. And the reason I like to picture it that way is because it gives us an exact depiction in my mind and how I imagine it of how our plane of existence uh, this Eretz that we exist on, how it's stacked up. So you got Resh, man, we're in the bottom, right? We're made from the dirt of the ground and we reside on the dirt. We reside on in the Eretz. Then when we look up, what do we see? The sun on the horizon, right? And then when we will look up past that, what we see is the works of the Most High, right? The arm, which the hand, the yod, which represents the works. All right, and we'll get into the verses that explain that later. And then on top of that is the ein. And it reminds me of like a perfect depiction of Psalms 11 and 4, which says, Yahuwah is in his holy temple. Yahuwah is in the heavenly throne. He observes everyone on the earth. His eye examines them. So when you look at the rakia and you flip it up on its side to make it a tower the resh the man the sun on the horizon then the works right which is the firmament which is the rakia itself and then the eye that watches and examines us all because that's where the most high sets he sets uh, above and beyond the stars is what we learn from the scriptures so we have a picture of what it's like for us to stand on the ground and look up and it tells us rakia right there that's that's what the rakia is giving a picture of okay and to further express the context of what rakia is let's look at where it first appears it first appears in genesis 1 and 6 and 7 where it is listed as separating the waters from above from the waters below, and it was the second day, right? And it is good, or it is tov, um, which I just got from my overseer, the word tov. So uh, if you don't know who my overseer is, it is overseer mode. Check him out. Uh, I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link in the description, but Voice of Messiah Ministries on YouTube, and he has a pretty good teaching, which he just did on the word tov, which will totally blow your mind and is absolutely a, a Hebrew word study. If we're doing fun with Hebrew words, that's a good one to get into because it's really going to help you understand some context. But that's not the point of my thing, so I'll just direct you over to his channel to check that out. But anyway, that's the second day. The second day of creation, we have the formation of the rakia, this firmament. Okay, And the reason I wanted to do a fun with Hebrew words and discuss the word firmament is because what the heck is a firmament? <laughs> what is that thing, man? Like... Ain't nothing in science, ain't nothing in high school, ain't nothing in college ever told me about the study of the firmament. Like, we don't ever talk about that stuff. We talk about atmospheres and troposphere and stratosphere and, you know, uh, the, the Van Allen radiation belt and all kinds of other things that exist around our plane of existence. But we never refer to it or discuss it in the way that the firmament is discussed and described in the Bible. A lot of people like to say that, like, science in the Bible lines up. Not necessarily true, and we're going to get into that, because what the rakia is uh, doesn't necessarily match, I believe, with what you're taught. So let's just let the Bible speak for itself. 
So in Genesis 1 and 8, we're actually given uh, a name for the rakia. So a lot of people like to try to debate and discuss, and there's all kinds of theories about what a firmament is and how that relates to our current model. But you guys, there's no need to um, dig in it yourself. Okay, there's no need because the Bible translates itself right here in Genesis 1 and 8 where it calls the Rakia has a name that God has given it. And that name is the Shamayin, which is heaven. And this is hugely important. And why this is important is because Rakia only appears like 10 to 15 times in, in, the, uh, in the scriptures. But Shamayin is like nearly 400 times the Shamayin appears in the scriptures. So it's very important to um, determine what Rakia is by knowing what Rakia's name is. And the Rakia is called the Shamayin. So when you see the word heaven in your Bible, you're, you're seeing the word Shamayin. So you say, oh, my grandma died and went to heaven. What you're really saying is my grandma is living in the Shamayin. That's that's how, that's what the Hebrews would have called it. And the Shamayin is the Rakia. They're they're the same because in Genesis 1 and 8, it says the Rakia is called the Shamayin. So when you do your own personal studies, which I absolutely encourage, I've said it before, I put it in the disclaimer, if you listen to me, you're a fool. And if you're learning Hebrew from me, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I don't, guys. Like, I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm only trying to put things into perspective to try to help you give some context so that you can study and grow on your own because this is your relationship with the Most High. I already did the study. I already know the conclusions that I reached. All right. Now it's your turn to do the same. So you got to study this stuff for yourself. And when you do, just know that when you see heaven, okay, that you're seeing what the Rakia is, the Shamayin, as it's called in Hebrew. And now I'm not going to get into how to break down the word uh, Shamayin, because we're going to talk specifically about uh, the word Rakia. So let's uh, get back into it. Uh, in Genesis 1, 14 through 15, and again in verse 17, we're told that there's light inside the Rakia, that it's literally inside of it. And this is a massive point of confusion for those who study the Bible, okay? It's a big point of confusion because a lot of people, what they like to picture in their mind is what you were told in high school, right? A spinning ball through space revolving around the sun, moving at millions of miles an hour, and that the sun is out there somewhere in this space, right? Uh, back in the day before the real nasty people got a hold of our science, they, they called it like ether, was trying to explain like the energy and electricity and substance that holds things together. Um, but when we see the rakia, which is the heavens, which is the firmament, we find out that the sun and moon are literally inside of it. So you can't say that the rakia is our atmosphere without saying that the sun and moon are also in our atmosphere. Right, that, that they have to be inside of what the Rakia is. And you can draw your own conclusions on what a Rakia is, but we're going to keep on moving. But I just wanted to make sure that I pointed that out, that the sun, moon, stars, the lights are literally in it. They're in it. They're not outside of it. They're not on the other side of it. They're inside 
this visible arch of the sky, which is the which is the rakia, which is the the barrier between us and the Most High, as described in that tower, right? Us, the sun, the works, which is the rakia, and then the all-seeing eye that watches us, just like the psalmist said. So, next time we see rakia appearing in our Bible, it's right there, just a couple verses down, and it's in Genesis one and twenty, and it talk it talks about an open face. See, it says the words used. Um, let's just read this one, all right, so we don't get uh, confused at all. And it says, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth, the erets, across the vault of the sky. Again, like I said, sometimes it's vault, sometimes it says dome, sometimes it says expanse, and sometimes it says firmament. But that vault of the sky, that's rakia. That's, that's what we're talking about. So what we find here in this verse is that there is an open part of the rakia. Now, a lot of people, Answers in Genesis and other people like that, they like to talk about this open face as being proof of a heliocentric model in which, we which you understand it from school, right? Which is that if you blasted off from a rocket and just went through the atmosphere, eventually you would leave the atmosphere of Earth and you would be in the vacuum of space. Okay, and a lot of people like to say that that's proof of the verse in Genesis 1 and 20 because it talks, talks about the firmament being open. But that's a misconception of how the Hebrew breaks down this verse. What we're actually finding is that there's an open expanse on that is... So the birds fly above the Eretz in between the expanse between the Eretz and the Rakia. So picture it as a snow globe, right? Like literally a snow globe that, that's locked. You would have the base of the snow globe, and then you would have all the water inside of it, and then glass that contained that water inside of that snow globe. Well, the birds are said to fly above the arets in this open expanse area, which is underneath the rakia structure. So the rakia is above man and the birds fly underneath it. It does not mean an open expanse to go back and forth, but rather an open space underneath the rakia, underneath the vaulted dome above the earth, above the ground, above the erets. That's what's described to us in Genesis 1 and 20. We also see rakia appear in Psalms 19 and 1 where it specifically says the rakia displays the handiwork. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And this verse perfectly lines up with the picture graph that I described earlier, right? So you got the resh, the man, the sun that is on the horizon inside the works inside the, the firmament, inside the rakia, which are the works of the Most High who is above it. So again, we see man, the sun, inside of the what, what, whatever this firmament is, whatever you think it is, with the Most High above it. And by studying the sky, you will literally be studying the work of the hand of God. That's why this verse 
is so important. And this word, this Hebrew word is so important because it can contextually help you understand a biblical cosmology as opposed to a worldly cosmology. Okay? Everything that these scientists, if they don't believe in God, then you best believe they have an agenda to lead you away from one because they think you are foolish, they think you are silly, because they see the world existing in this way. So they are trying to lead you away from the Most High. They're trying to teach you that you're foolish, that the Bible is foolish, but that their scientific way is the true way of viewing the world. Go ahead and put on your science test in school, for those of you who are still in school or who have kids, go ahead and tell them to put God created the universe on the test. They will fail. They will fail. Trust me. They will not get that question right because they want to mold you and form you in a certain way which does not prove that God created everything. They want to prove that random explosion created everything. But what the Bible tells us is that the rakia displays the handiwork of God. So if you understand what the firmament is, if you understand what the rakia is from a biblical Hebrew perspective, the way God wanted you to see it, then you will literally understand his handiwork. You guys need to, every time I see the blue sky, you guys need to do what I do. You need to stare at that thing and understand what is that? What is happening? What is up there? Why does it look the way it does? Why do certain things happen within it? Why do I see celestial objects move in certain ways? You have to be more inquisitive and not just accept what you've been told about the world, but study to show yourself approved. Because if you come to understand what the Rakia is, you will understand the work of the hand of the Father. That's incredible. That's incredible. Do you guys not understand how incredible that is? That by simply understanding the sky, you'll understand the handiwork of your Father? Man, I, I think we're supposed to understand the Father, right? We're supposed to understand what he wants, how he wants it, all those kinds of things, right? Of course we are. Of course we are. So that's why this word's important. And that's why I picked to do this word study. But let's just keep going. Let's keep going so that you can understand uh, what rakia is. And I'm just going to keep giving you the verses. And again, don't just study rakia. After, you, after we're done with this, go study the Shamayim. Go find everywhere in your Bible that the word heaven appears over 400 times. That's why I couldn't really cover that word specifically. It's just, it's too much. And you will get a deeper insight into what I'm talking about. But let's go to Ezekiel 1 and 25. And this is uh, an interesting verse because it says, Then there came a voice from above the rakia over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. So if you recall, what's happening here is Ezekiel's like looking in the sky and he's seeing weird stuff. <laughs> I can't describe it. Weird stuff. He's seeing, uh, we're not going to get into that. There's a whole Bible study on just this, what what Ezekiel sees, but we're not going to get into that. What I want to talk about is that what you see is that the rakia, that the voice that whoever is speaking to Ezekiel in this chapter, that that voice is above the rakia. So we see that the rakia is always described as up. It's always up. Look at Ezekiel ten and one as well. 
and you'll see a very, very similar parallel where it's an upward thing. It's oh, it's never described, and that's why I say when you, you have to look at it from, from a Hebrew perspective, it's never described as surrounding underneath, to your left, it's never described to your right, to your front, and if we were on a globe model, as discussed by science in modern days, then the rakia could have all those other things, right? It could be to the left of you, to the right of you, it could be underneath you, because it would be around the globe. But it's never described like that in Scripture. It's always referred to as up. And you can draw whatever conclusion you want out of that, but that is the scriptural context for the word rakia. It's up, and the voice of the Most High, and the voice of all the angels, and everything that's coming, it's always from above that. So the rakia, the structure, the firmament that is above us, the most high and everything is above that, and it's always up, directional. It's directional every single time it's mentioned in the scriptures. And then when you see, uh, so we just did uh, Ezekiel 1 and 25, if you just go to the next verse, in verse 26, it talks about what, I, what I'm trying to explain, where it says that the throne of God is above the rakia, because it says above the rakia over their heads, and these are all the angels and stuff that he's seeing, was what looked like a throne. So the throne is above the vault, above the rakia. Okay? And again, up. It's up. It's up. So God is always described as above rakia, and the rakia is always described as being up. Now, if you look at it the way the Hebrews looked at it, because if you do any kind of Bible studies, right? You you know that the Bible has to interpret itself, and not only that, but you have to look at what the writer intended and how the receiver of the letter received it. And how the Hebrew people received Rakia when they heard it from God, how they processed it in their minds, was they believed that there was a heavenly ocean that was above our heads. That's the ancient Hebrew cosmology. They literally believed in a literal, not a figurative or um, an atmospheric thing that you can pass through, uh, but they believed in an actual ocean that was above our heads because of the accounts of Genesis that we read earlier uh, in the first chapter of Genesis, where it talks about separating the waters from above and the waters below. So they understood the oceans, the lakes, the rivers are the waters below that, that, that just fell to the ground and exist on the Eretz, but that it's separated from waters above. So they believed in a heavenly ocean, that's how the Hebrew mind interpreted it, was above the Rakia. That's, that's the, how they believed cosmology. And they believed also that it was a solid dome structure. That's why every translation, the older and older you get with your translations of the Bible, the more you start to get words like dome, right, or structure. The further we get here, the more translations get newer, you start to get it vaults, expanses, openings, and other words used. But the further back you go, it starts to get more and more solid. <laughs> uh, and the reason is, is because anyone who was studying that word from a Hebrew concept, would have known that the Hebrews saw the rakia as hard. It's physically hard. And if you look at Job 37 and 18, it says, Can you join him separating out the skies 
and then it says the skies, which are hard as a mirror or cast bronze. Now, what's happening here in Job 37 is this is one of Job's friends. So whether you take his word as uh, the word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning that the sky, the rakia, is literally hard glass, or whether you take it as uh, he's just a man speaking and he has no authority, uh, it doesn't really matter because he's a Hebrew man and he's speaking to Job, another Hebrew man, and how he understood the sky, to prove my point, uh, he understood it as hard as a mirror, like cast bronze. So the Hebrew concept of the rakia of the sky was that it's a solid dome structure with an ocean above it, and it's hard. It's hard. That's how they understood it. Now, let's discuss a couple things um, about the Shamayin. And the reason I want to do that is, like I said earlier, the Shamayin is the word and the name given to the Rakia. And so I'm, I can't go into everything about the Shamayin, but I'm going to go a little into some of the verses so that you understand a little bit more about what the Rakia is and getting back to the Hebrew concept and a Hebrew understanding of what a Rakia um, looks like according to the scriptures. So, um, and I, I, I could have picked this. It says this, this types of things that I'm about to read in like billions of verses, guys. Like it's literally in like billions of verses. But I picked these two because they're in the Minor Prophets and you know you don't read the Minor Prophets. <laughs> you know you don't. You know you don't. You don't study the Minor Prophets like you're supposed to. None of us do. The only reason I study them is because I don't want to run into Obadiah in heaven and find out, like, he's like, yo, man, you don't know how hard it was for me to get pen and paper. Like, I was suffering for the Most High just to get those few paragraphs on the page. I hope Obadiah blessed you while you were on earth, brother. And I'm staring at Obadiah like, oh, bro. I didn't really read that book. <laughs> I don't want that embarrassment. I don't want it. So I read the Minor Prophets, and I pulled these two verses out of a couple Minor Prophets just so that you can study them a little bit more and uh, get into a little bit more. And when you run into Joel and Haggai in heaven, you can be like, you know what? I actually did get something from your book. Thank you, brother. <laughs> so anyway, Joel 2 and 10, it talks about before them. The earth shakes, the heavens, the Shamayin, tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. And that is uh, a, another sediment echoed in Haggai 2 and 21, but I won't read that one. So what we find here is that when the earth shakes, the earth, the Eretz, when the structure, the land that we sit on shakes, so does the Shamayin. The Shamayin also shakes. And that's why I have a hard time understanding the Shamayin as this thing that astronauts and stuff pass in and out of and pass up and down and get through. Because if the Earth is shaking, when there's an earthquake, does, does that mean there's windstorms? No, right? So when the air shakes, the atmosphere around us doesn't really get affected. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when he comes back and rips open the firmament, because the Shamayin, the Rakia, will be ripped open at the second coming of the Messiah, 
That's what it says. Look it up for yourself. And the new Jerusalem is going to come down and literally set down in Jerusalem. Heaven will be brought from above down to earth. Uh, and heaven in this sense is not the word Shamayin, but it's, it's for the new Jerusalem. That's what I'm referring to. And it'll come down. And when that happens, the land's going to shake, but so will the Shamayin. So will the, the Rakia. It will vibrate. It will shake. And if it's only atmosphere or air, how is it shaking? How, how is it shaking? And that's, that's again, um, getting back to the Hebrew perspective. That's why the Hebrews thought of it as a solid structure. Because if it's, it's, if it's going to vibrate, if it's going to shake, if it's going to open, then it has to have substance. You can't open nothing, uh, was what the Hebrews thought. So they believed it to be a solid structure because it, it shakes. And here's another verse that's really important and often not discussed when we talk about the Shamayin, when we talk about the Rakia. Uh, and that's in 2 Samuel 22. A lot of people get into Genesis and they get into Job because those are hugely scientific books. I mean, if you're reading Job and you're reading Genesis, man, you're, are, are, you're reading scientific manuals. I mean, they got all kinds of gems hidden in there. Uh, but we often don't go to 2 Samuel when we want to talk science, but but I, I got one I want to pull out for you. So 2 Samuel 22 and 8, it says the earth trembles and quakes, right? Same same concept we just saw in Joel. And the foundations of the Shamayin shook. They trembled because he was angry. The reason this verse is so important is because this says that the Shamayin has a foundation. And a foundation is to be understood like the foundation of a house. So this structure, the rakia that is above us, it has a foundation. And that when, when the earth shakes, the foundation that holds the rakia also shakes. And that is what causes the rakia to shake. Okay, so there's a foundation. And in Job 26 and 11, it also describes a foundation of the rakia. Uh, but again, it uses the word Shamayin, and it says that the Shamayin, uh, it doesn't say foundations, though it uses the word pillars. Now, pillars are referred to in the Bible like pillars of smoke. In Exodus, they, you know, they followed a pillar of smoke, a pillar of fire, and that same word can also be used for a pillar of a building. You find it a lot when they talk about the pillars of the tabernacle and stuff like that, or pillars of castles. Uh, Samson, for instance, when he pushes the pillar, that word for pillar is what Job uses as what the Shamayin is connected to. It's connected to pillars. So pillars and foundations. So when the earth shakes, 2 Samuel tells us, 2 Samuel 22 tells us that the foundation of heaven, the, the pillars of heaven also shake. And now we understand why the Rakia shakes when the earth shakes, because there's a foundational connection that has to be brought out in order for you to understand how the Rakia exists and how it looks according to the Hebrews. Now, if you don't know, all Hebrew words are broken down into three-letter roots. So the rakia has a root to it, and those roots uh, often help you find context into what the word means. And rakia has a root of raka, which is to beat, to stamp out, or to spread out. So the rakia comes from the root of something that is like uh, 
picture it as in like the, if they would have had to make like the brazen bowls, right, out of like bronze or whatever, that they would you would have a guy heating up metal, hitting it with a hammer, right? We know how forges work, and then they beat that thing into its shape. So if you're making a bowl out of bronze, you would beat that bowl and stamp it out and spread out that metal. That's what Raqqa is referring to. So we can infer from that that the Rakia was beaten out, stamped out, and spread out above our heads. And you can find that, I mean, all over the scriptures as well, that, that the sky is spread out, that the heavens are spread, you know, we find those um, a lot. And Answers in Genesis, they like to talk about that verse because they believe that it, it infers an expanding universe. I don't really see that in, in Scripture, but you can draw your own conclusion. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is the root of Rakia is Raka, which means to beat out, stamp out, or spread out as a brazen bull would be, which really reminds me of the uh, Job that I just read, right? That says that the sky is solid, right? Like molten glass. Well, that makes sense to me when I look at the root of the word raka and I see that it literally means to beat out, stamp out, or spread out. So molten glass that is beaten out and spread out into a looking glass-like structure, that makes sense. And the concept that was preached there in Job by Job's friend makes sense with how the root of the word is understood, and that helps bring out the Hebrew context. So, all that being said, the Rakia, according to a Hebrew perspective and according to the scriptures and the verses that we've brought out, is a structure that separates water from above, water from below. It has the sun and the moon and the lights with an open expanse under it, and the throne of God is above it, which was stamped out and spread out above the heads of man who has a foundation which can be shaken. And that's Rakia, everybody. That's, that is what Rakia is, according to a Hebrew perspective. So next time uh, you see the word firmament, you no longer need to be confused. What the heck's a firmament? And the reason you don't understand what a firmament is is because they won't teach you about a firmament in school. Because if they taught you about a firmament in science, you would look at the Bible and you would know it's true and you would follow God. But we know that the Rakia is, a, is listed as up. It's listed as a uh, an expanse. It's spread out. It's stamped out. It has lights within it. There's an open area underneath it. It has foundations and pillars, and when the earth shakes, those foundation and pillars shake, and the rakia itself can physically be shaken. And like I said, you just need to do a quick Google search of Hebrew cosmology, and you'll see that all ancient Hebrews believed it to be a solid dome structure with an ocean over the top of it. You can draw your own conclusions from there, my brothers and sisters, but that is what Rakia is according to the Bible, and that's why I like to use words like dome when I discuss the Rakia, and it's because I'm just trying to look at it the way the Hebrews did. I don't want to say uh, an open expanse, um, 
And you and you and 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 the reason I don't want to do that is because that that's not what the Bible says. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. It says hard like glass. It says spread out. It's it, it's a physical structure that can be shaken. That's that's what the Bible says. And so that's how I'm going to refer to it. I encourage you that may be thinking that this messes with your concept of reality. That that you may be thinking that I'm going crazy, or you may be thinking like, man, I think he's alluding to something that sounds a little nuts. And sounds a little stupid. Well, you need to do a study of Rakia for yourself, a study of the Shamayin for yourself. And this is going to sound like it's coming out of left field, but it's not. You also need to study the organization called NASA. N-A-S-A, NASA. Yes, yes, you do. You need to get into it. Look at the symbolism. Why are all the missions to the moon named Apollo? Why is the name of the Antichrist in Revelations called Apollo. Why in the book of Enoch is the moon listed as part of a great deception? It's in there, guys. It says the demon or the fallen angel or whatever you want to call him that taught the moon also taught the deception. And so for that reason, I recommend that you start with some moon landing research. You start with some space exploration research. Why do radio waves bounce off of our atmosphere and bounce all around so that we can communicate on CB radios? We can have radios in our cars, but yet some radio signals just go right through to the astronauts. How come some go through and some don't? I don't understand, but you guys need to do that kind of research for yourself. Get a little into NASA, get into the Rakia, and I promise you'll be blessed because Psalms 19 and 1, we read it, says that the Rakia displays the handiwork of God. And I don't know about you, but every time I read my Bible, it says, don't trust the ways of men, only trust the ways of the Most High. So if you're getting your picture of the Rakia from NASA, you've already failed. You've already failed. Whether NASA's right or whether NASA's wrong, whether they're a, a, a correct scientific organization or whether they are part of the great deception and, a, and it's a truly one of the greatest conspiracy theories known to man, that's for you to decide. I've already made my conclusion and I'm not going to tell you what it is because you're not going to listen to me because God told me in a dream that people wouldn't listen to me. So you've got to study for yourself and you've got to find this out for yourself. But the point I'm trying to make is your picture of the moon, your picture of the sun and the stars, your picture of the rakia and the firmament and this vaulted expanse over our heads should not come from NASA. It should not come from men and it should not come from scientific textbooks. Study the word of Yahuwah. Study to show yourself approved. And once you have sufficiently have an understanding of Rakia and Shamayin and what it looks like and how it looks according to the scriptures based off of some of the uh, contextual things that I've given you here today, then you can turn and look to man's knowledge and see if it matches. And I guarantee you, you're going to be surprised if you do a study of Rakia and Shamayin and you see that the Shamayin is listed as having a structure in 2 Samuel, right? It has a foundation. And then you look at NASA and say, show me the foundation of the Rakia, of the sky. None of their pictures contain it. So that's for you to draw conclusions on. Uh, but that's all I got for today, guys. That's the word Rakia according to a Hebrew concept. I hope that it has blessed you. And I hope that you now find less confusion um, 
in the word firmament. And I, and I hope that when you read your Bible and you hear the word firmament, that you don't instantly think that you have to be a conspiracy theorist uh, and that uh, you don't really know what it means and you have to open up a scientific textbook to understand it. None of that's true, guys. You don't need to open up a science book to understand Rakia. You just need to look at it the way the Hebrews did and you need to look at it the way God did. And in doing so, you will find the handiwork of God. Well, this is the Art of Being, the podcast. Again, I am Jason Trader, and you can... Uh, Email us if you want to reach out to us. If you think I'm off base, if you think I don't know what I'm talking about, if you have evidence to prove me wrong, I would love to see it because, guys, I'm not right all the time, and I want to be guided and corrected. So if you come to me in love, let's do this. You can email me at theartofbeing at gmail.com, except in the word being, it is a three for the E that is the art of, the letter B, the number three, ing at gmail.com we're on facebook at the art being and we're on twitter at the real art being we love to hear from you guys i thank you so much for stopping by and i hope that you enjoy your time underneath the rakia love you guys bye <laughs>